22, and we'll start in verse 22, so Acts 22, 22, and we'll read down through uh, 23, uh, verse 11. So Acts 22, 22. Follow along then as we read God's holy word. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. And the tribune ordered ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched uh, stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, "Uh, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, uh, What are you uh, about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I brought this citizenship, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid. And he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life uh, before God in all good conscience up to this day. And Paul and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by him, would you revile? Those who stood by him said, "Would you revile God's high priest?" And Paul said, "I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people." Now, when Paul perceived that one part was were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, "Brothers, I am a Pharisee, this a son of a Pharisee." It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees arose. And the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him back to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray this morning. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us 
uh, from your word, that we would delight ourselves in you and that your word would be clear. Uh, You have something for each one of us, instruction, correction, teaching, reproof, training in righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, do that for us. We just pray that your, your presence would be felt through the Holy Spirit and his working through the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen the signs, uh, but I've called this morning's sermon, Keep Calm and. There's kind of this meme that goes around. It, it, it starts with various signs. It, they, all, they all start out with, uh, keep calm. It started out with, keep calm and carry on. Uh, and then as things happen on the internet, it just started uh, multiplying. And I put a few of my, my favorites up there. There's Cookie Monster with, keep calm and eat a cookie. Uh, maybe many of you like to do that to keep calm. There's, of course, the, the Star Wars one that I had to use, or keep calm and wear a bow tie for the ladies, keep calm and buy shoes, and all the husbands are going, oh no, that, that doesn't make me calm. But there's this, it's, they call it a meme, it's just something that gets repeated and shared on the internet, and people change it and modify it with, with funny say, uh, sayings. But it's this idea of, of keep calm, keep calm and, it's kind of a reminder, don't freak out. Don't get overworked. Don't get your heart rate up. Don't get yourself tied up into an emotional knot. I think that's a good reminder when we think about evangelizing and we think about sharing the gospel with others and we even think about taking a stand for Christ. Keep calm. The main point this morning is keep calm and represent Christ. When you're evangelizing, keep calm and represent Christ. This is what you're, you're called to do, to represent Christ. And, and I've been saying in various weeks and at various places in the sermons, sometimes we, we get fearful about what we're going to say. We get overworked or we, we rethink things after the fact. Sometimes we get into maybe a debate or a discussion and, and we get worked up. Maybe we start to get angry. Maybe we start to get tense. We need to keep calm because we're representing Christ. We can't lose our cool. First this morning, keep calm and don't be afraid to speak up. Keep calm and don't be afraid to speak up. That's our first point this morning. And you'll see how Paul speaks up here in the opportunities uh, that he has. So this is after he's shared his testimony uh, with the, the Jews, and they want to kill him. So after he shared his testimony, the crowd erupts and they want him dead. Look at verse 22 and 23. Up to this word, they listened. And when they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow uh, from the earth, for he, is not, uh, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust, into the air, and it goes on to say the tribune or the commander ordered him to be brought up. So, so they are irate here. They've heard Paul preach the gospel. They've heard what Paul has said. They've, they've heard Paul say that he's sent now to the Gentiles. He saw Jesus Christ, the Lord, and, and they are just ticked off. They, if they were a cartoon, that, you, know that, you know how in the cartoons the the, the redness rises up on their face and then they blow their top like an old steam whistle. This is, this is what is going on here. They are angry. And, and so angry that they are, 
they're taking off their jackets and they're, they're flinging uh, the dust out of them. They're throwing off their clo- clo- uh, coats and cloaks. They are angry. I don't know if you saw on the news this week, it kind of went around, there was a, a political debate, not the one in our country, but there was one over in the country of Georgia and two politicians were debating on TV And at some point, they got so angry, the one started throwing water at the other, and they both stood up, and they started fighting, and the poor lady doing the interview is trying to to break them apart. Uh, This is how angry these guys were. They are stomping around. They can't believe what Paul has said. And so Paul is dragged back into the barracks. Notice verse 24. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, uh, saying that he said uh, he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So they're ready to to take a whip and stretch him out and and beat him uh, to get him to confess. They want to know what's what's wrong, why he's stirring up all this trouble, what kind of mischief he's causing. They figure it must be his fault, and they figure the best way to get it out of him is to beat Paul. As they're getting ready to flog Paul, Paul appeals to, to the fact that Paul is a Roman citizen. And what I want you to notice here, this is where Paul is calm. In the next incident, we'll see that Paul uh, isn't calm when he responds to the high priest, but here he's calm and peaceable. It says in verse 25, when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. What I want you to notice and what I think we should see here is that Paul is not confrontational or combative. He's calm. His demeanor here, the language that he uses, is actually very submissive. In other words, he doesn't come up and start shouting and saying, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Don't you know it's against the law to do this to me? He doesn't get angry with a sort of, How dare you? I'm a Roman citizen. It was wrong to beat and flog and punish a Roman citizen without a trial. Much like in our own country, it's wrong to condemn anyone to prison without a trial. His demeanor, though, is submissive. Is it? lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen? Now Paul knows the answer and he knows the centurion knows the answer. But the way that he approaches the question is very non-confrontational. It it diffuses the situation if you will. Paul has said in Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul is restrained. The Roman law said that that anyone who uh, is held liable, anyone who, quote, while holding an imperium or office, puts to death or flogs a Roman citizen contrary to his right of appeal or orders uh, any of the above-mentioned things to be done to him or puts a yoke on his neck so that he may be tortured. And that's that's essentially what they're doing here. They're stretching him out and tying him up and getting him ready to be tortured. Paul could have gotten angry. Paul could have lost his temper. But Paul simply makes a calm appeal 
to his Roman citizenship. We know in Acts chapter 16, when he was thrown in jail, he as well appealed to his Roman citizenship that they had beaten him and thrown him in prison without a trial. And we know that in Acts 16.38, it says that the magistrates were, were worried and afraid at this point. The tribune here is also uh, afraid. The centurion's afraid. The, the centurion goes to the tribune or the commander. In verse 27, the tribune comes down and says, So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And they were about to examine him. They were about to beat him. They were about to torture him. And now they're backing off. They, They leave the room. And says the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had had him bound. One commentator suggested that that by asking how Paul got his Roman citizenship, there was sort of a a social standing here that, that, you know, he's saying, I bought my citizenship, trying to establish, hey, I've I've got a lot of money that I got this. Paul, probably being born a citizen in a Roman city, probably actually has a little more social standing uh, in this situation. I tend to think that that perhaps the... the, um, the tribune or the commander asked these questions uh, because he just wanted to make sure the Roman citizenship was actually legitimate. So how did you get it? Here's how I got mine. Uh, Some others have suggested that Paul would have had to been able to produce documents that he may have had with him or that his followers could have brought him. Uh, I don't know. Either way, God uses here Roman law to protect Paul. I think that's a lesson for us as Christians. There's nothing wrong as a Christian, with using the law of the land to protect us where we can. We're grateful for the freedom of religion, and we should use it to protect us where we can. Another example, we have uh, Christian organizations like the Alliance Defense Fund. It's a a legal organization that's that's Christian and a bunch of uh, Christian lawyers uh, who seek to see that Christians are able to maintain their legal rights. They operate within the framework of the laws of our government. They'll even take on court cases and make appeals, and I believe they've even argued things uh, before the Supreme Court, because that's our rights as citizens. And there's nothing wrong with, as a Christian, taking advantage of our legal rights where it's appropriate. So it's not wrong to appeal to your legal rights when we're humble, honest, and not vindictive about it. I think that's the key here. Look at Paul's spirit. Look at Paul's demeanor. Paul is not saying, I'm a Roman citizen, and I'm going to stick it to you because you've wronged me. He really could have gotten these people in trouble, the same way he really could have gotten the people in Philippi in trouble, because they threw him in prison without a trial. They were about to flog him, and they had bound him here without a trial. He could have raised a stink about it and created a commotion. It's a lesson for us. It's not wrong to use a legal right that you may have as a Christian in our country. We need to be careful how we conduct ourselves. Do we do it in a manner that's peaceable, that we're not trying to to stir up trouble? 
Paul's not making a power play here. He's not saying, you want to beat me, I'm going to make you pay. That's a good lesson for us. We may have had in the past or even in the future in our country uh, incidences where people are witnessing and sharing on the, go- the gospel and, and they get in some trouble for disturbing the peace. And they did nothing of the sort in terms of disturbing the peace and they were just actually um, exercising their rights as believers in a free country. And maybe let's put out a hypothetical scenario where maybe even a Christian gets arrested for something like this. And on top of this, since we're making a hypothetical scenario, let's say they don't even get their Miranda rights read to them. Uh, You know those little things they read? Well, maybe you don't know. I don't know from experience. But you know how they read you your rights when you you get arrested. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right uh, to an attorney, those sorts of things. There would be nothing wrong in that situation if you find yourself in jail in getting a lawyer. There's nothing wrong with the lawyer coming out and saying, hey, my client shouldn't be in here. He was arrested under false pretenses or whatever the circumstance may be. Or or even saying, look, his Miranda rights weren't uh, read to him. That's a, a gross injustice here. There's nothing wrong with a Christian humbly using the laws of the world when they've done nothing wrong. Being gracious and peaceable doesn't mean we, have, we can't speak up against injustice. I think that's an important point. It's interesting here that Paul can be gracious. He can point out that the law was being used wrongly against him. And he's somehow, in all of this, in his demeanor, in his kindness, in his gentleness, he's also not violating Jesus' command that we turn the other cheek when people do us wrong that we be gracious to them and kind. Paul can speak up in a way that is still respectable and kind. And I would encourage us as Christians, no matter what the situation is, we should show respect for authority. So maybe at work you're speaking a little bit about the gospel and your, your boss really gives you a hard time. You still need to respect his authority, even though what he says to you might be wrong even though he might be trying to be contentious with you. The important thing is that we keep our calm in these situations, that we don't get overheated and and we fight that temptation to, to fight back because we need to win, because we're in the right. You represent Christ in those situations. Second this morning, keep calm and admit uh, when you are wrong. This one's a little harder to do being willing to admit when you're wrong. So we have the next scenario that develops here. Paul goes down before the Sanhedrin, uh, primarily because the tribune uh, wants to understand why Paul is, is being confused. Verse 30 and 31. On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought him down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, I've I've done nothing wrong that, that deserves to be thrown in jail. I've been seeking to follow God all the days of my life. And now on the one hand, Paul is speaking in general terms here because we know he was the one that held the coats of Stephen when they had stoned him. And that was certainly very wrong. 
But on another hand, again, speaking in just general truth, even when he did that, he was trying to follow God. He was completely wrong and completely sinful. He's been forgiven of that. And so he can say, you know, in all good conscience, I've, I've lived my life before God. Of course, this makes them angry because of what Paul is saying and preaching and teaching. Paul is teaching that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God. And so the high priest Ananias asks or commands that Paul be struck. Look at verse 22. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. This is where Paul, I think, gets himself into trouble. And this is why I've said the point is keep calm, because I think Paul doesn't do that here. Look at verse 3. Then Paul said to him, he's speaking to the high priest, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Uh, you, can't, you can't read this calmly. Paul, Paul did not just, you know, politely, well, now God is going to strike you, you whitewashed. I mean, he... I think he loses his temper here a little bit. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Maybe even in our language we would say, how dare you, you hypocrite. He says, are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? So on the one hand, Paul is speaking the truth here. The high priest is being a hypocrite. John 7.51 says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? The answer is no. Jewish law didn't allow that. You couldn't, much like Roman law, you couldn't strike or beat a person without knowing if he was guilty. Deuteronomy 1.16 says of judges, Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously. Deuteronomy 25, verse 1 and 2, in verse 2, speaking about judges and judging fairly, that it says, Then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten. So it's the idea that first you have to fairly and impartially determine guilt, and then you can have a punishment. And so the high priest saying, Strike this guy, beat him, breaks the Old Testament law. He, he violates a command of God. Jesus himself had called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs, you think of this tomb on the inside where it's ceremonially unclean, and if there's a body in there, it certainly stinks and reeks, uh, and then you paint it on the outside white so it looks really nice. Kind of be like in, like in our day and age, where if a, a construction worker cheated on building a skyscraper and he used substandard concrete and he used really weak steel and it's shambles on the inside, but then on the outside he makes it look gorgeous. Maybe he makes it ornate with gold and maybe when you walk into the lobby there's, there's marble everywhere. But underneath that building the bones are, are rotten, so to speak. That's what it means to be whitewashed. You, you put on a good front. You look good and religious, but look at your heart that you could just strike me in this instance. The example comes from Ezekiel himself in Ezekiel chapter 13, rebuking people for being whitewashed. Sometimes in our days, Christians or people that claim to be Christians are, are whitewashed. They, they put on a good show on a Sunday. They dress up 
They, they look real sharp. They, they wear their best Sunday suit, but on the inside, throughout the week, they're hypocrites. They're just playing and being a good Christian on the outside. So on the one hand, Paul is saying something that's true. Even in the book of Romans, he critiques in Romans chapter 2 the Jewish people who, who say that they have the law and then don't even keep it. Paul's speaking the truth. But on the other hand, Paul himself, in his lashing out against this leader, breaks the word of God. Exodus 22, verse 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. And this is what they say in verse 23. Those who stood by him, would you revile God's high priest? And what does Paul say? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Paul recognizes that he did do something. He, he lashed out. He was, he was quick with his tongue. And, and so he did something that actually is against God's word. And you might say, well, what Paul said was true. Yes, but the way that he said it was wrong. The way that he lashed out, and, and it appears to have said it out of anger, that he did not show respect for the leader. He had shown respect for the Roman centurion and the tribune, and here he lets the situation get the better of him. You might think to yourself, well, why didn't Paul know that it was the high priest? Shouldn't you know who the high priest is? If you and I go down to the, the crowny courthouse, even if we've never met the judge, we're going to recognize the judge by the way that he dresses or the way that he carries himself in front of people. He's the one that we all have to stand up for when he enters the courtroom, so we'd immediately draw attention to him. Why didn't Paul know who the high priest was? Well, it's possible that it's partly because he hasn't been in Jerusalem uh, for a while. But I think more likely is that Paul had bad eyesight. In the book of Galatians, it talks about Paul having some kind of trial with his eyes. He talks about a condition in Galatians 4.14. He says, though my condition was a trial to you. And then he says, the next verse later, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So we think that Paul maybe had some kind of bad eyesight. Maybe he was just bad eyes. Maybe he had some kind of macular degeneration cataracts, I don't know. But it would make sense to say that Paul didn't realize in this crowded room, I don't know how far away the high priest was, but it makes sense that he didn't know who had called out to strike him. Uh, if, if I take my glasses off, I, ca I can't tell. Like if one of you said, strike the pastor, I'd be like, I, I don't know who said it. That, that's how bad my eyes are. So you can imagine Paul being in a crowded room, maybe this size, the high priest is standing over there, shouts out to someone that's right next to Paul and says, strike him, and being like, who said that? And, and you can see him losing his, his cool. But Paul admits he was wrong. I think that's a lesson. Apologize when you're wrong. Sometimes we can get so prideful. Sometimes we can be afraid in situations where we're doing the right thing in terms of trying to defend the faith. We can, we can be prideful that we don't want to lose any inch in, in the debate or the argument that's going on, so we fear that, that apologizing will put us in a position of weakness. 
If we say, well, you know, I, I said that wrong. Or if we come back to someone and we say, well, you know, I'm passionate about the truth and, and, and what I said was right, but maybe I was too passionate and I, and I got kind of angry at you and, I, and I'm sorry for getting angry. We fear that other people will take advantage of us and so we don't want to admit when we're wrong. You ever see two people get in a fight and, and both are at fault, but they never make amends because no one wants to go back and be the first one to say, I did something wrong. They had some points, maybe both sides had some arguments. Often happens this way in, in marriage fights or where both sides have some points that are right. Both sides sort of need to listen to each other. But we sort of fear that, that if I'm the first one to say, well, I'm sorry for such and such that I did, that, that suddenly I'll lose the whole argument. It really comes down to pride. It really comes down to a, a puffed-up spirit about who we are. Paul was confident in Christ. And so Paul knew that, that apologizing, when he really did do something wrong, he, he was quick-tongued here, he knew that apologizing was the right thing to do. There's no shame in apologizing when we do something wrong. We don't, we don't lose the argument for Christ when we apologize to say, hey, you know what, I, I got over here, or I overreacted. You can say, well, you know, I was trying to make a good point, but I completely blew it in the way that I treated you, and I'm sorry that I treated you that way. The high priest was a hypocrite, yes, but Paul apologized because he lashed out and cursed the leader. Proverbs says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. If you have to reprove someone, if you have to correct someone, if you have to confront someone, whether it's a, a believer or an unbeliever, maybe it's a, a witnessing situation, that you can say things in such a way that you win a hearing as opposed to saying, you stupid hypocrite, what do you think you're believing? And you shut it down particularly, particularly when you come to someone in authority and talk to them with respect, you can be confident in what you're sharing about Jesus or the correctness of your position from the Word of God and at the same time have a soft, gentle tongue coming from a soft, gentle spirit. Proverbs 25:15 says this, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Think about that imagery for a minute. A soft tongue will break a bone. I don't know about you, but, but if you've ever had kids that have broken bones, um, you know it takes a lot of force for their bone to break, particularly if they're healthy. Uh, our Samantha fell off a top bunk bed one time and, and broke a bone in her arm. And, and when she fell, we heard this loud, crashing thud. You don't think of breaking a bone as something soft and gentle. But this is the idea that, that a, a word aptly spoken, a, a gentle language, can, can be far more effective to, to bring conviction on someone than, than speaking with power and authority and arrogance and sort of, I've got to stick it to the man. 
That's how our culture thinks we should confront people in authority. We should, we should stick it to them, stand up to the man, speak out against power. The reality is, Scripture demonstrates the, the exact opposite. Show deference. Show respect. This is true of, of all people, whether they're your boss, whether they're a government authority. Maybe they're just a guy at work who's uh, on the same level in terms of authority at work, and you just need to be nice to him and speak gently to him. But a soft tongue will break a bone. You can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, is the saying. You can convince more people that they're wrong and they need to repent and they need to uh, turn if you are also gentle in spirit as you do it. Keep calm and represent Christ. Lastly this morning, keep calm and stay focused on Jesus and his resurrection. Paul recovers here by, by, on the one hand, he goes back to the main issue. The main issue is the resurrection of Jesus. On the other hand, Paul is kind of crafty here. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew, when he speaks about, right before he warns us about not being anxious when, he goes, when we go before synagogues and tribunes and court cases and the Gentiles, he also says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I, I just love that. Think of that, that visual imagery of, of the crafty snake who, who slithers through the grass to get his prey and and is wise. Even, you have to admit, Satan, for all the sins that he did in, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, he was sneaky. He was crafty. And Jesus says, don't sin. He says, be crafty, but as innocent as doves. There are things that we can do to be smart and wise and, and, and convincing to people without being duplicitous and sneaky, and betraying them. Paul here, I think, does that. He's wise as a serpent, but in this next section, he's as innocent as a dove. So he turns the conversation back to what really matters in verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one, uh, that one part was Sadducee and the other's Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am now on trial. Paul divides the crowd. And Luke has to tell us why here this would divide the crowd, because we're not always familiar uh, with the background. But the basic idea is, uh, we think of Judaism being one big thing where they all believe the same thing. There were divisions within Judaism, within the Sadducees here, you, or excuse me, within the Sanhedrin. You had the Sadducees on one side, and they typically only believed that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, was the word of God. And so they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in spirit beings, and they didn't believe in angels, Luke tells us. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in all this, and they were even looking forward to a future resurrection. You have resurrection described in Ezekiel 37 and places in Hosea, and the Pharisees believed these things. It's interesting in the Gospels, when the, the, the Sadducees try to trap Jesus. They test him on the resurrection. And Jesus quotes Exodus, and he says, what does God say? 
I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, God is not the God of the living, or of the dead, but of the living. Meaning, God saying, I am, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are already in the grave, means there must be some kind of future life for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he is, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you say, okay, fine, what's, what's the big deal about that? Because Jesus was talking to Pharisees, and rather than quoting Ezekiel 37, which is the word of God, or quoting Hosea, which is the word of God, which they would have fought him on and rejected, Jesus uses the, the Pentateuch, the only part of the Bible that they believed was the Bible, against them. But there is this division, and Paul here exploits it. He, he gets up there and he says, guys, guys, the real issue here is don't hate me. I, I'm just believing in the resurrection. Now, of course, he's believing the resurrection has happened already in Jesus and there's still future aspects, but it's already happened in Jesus. The Pharisees hated that idea, but he kind of catches them off guard. You know, sort of a, they now have to save face. Oh, Paul's a Pharisee. Well, wait a minute. He believes in the resurrection oh, well, now I can get one up on the Sadducees, so I'll side with Paul, is kind of how the thinking goes. You see how it's, it's sneaky but not sinful? It's, it's wise and crafty but not shameful? Paul here, I think, is definitely as wise as a serpent, as innocent as doves. Paul believes in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he says... In 1 Corinthians, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ was raised. So Paul has always connected Jesus being raised from the dead with the future resurrection that we'll all experience. So Paul can stand before these Pharisees and say, I'm just here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now on top of that, he believes that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. But he can sort of win a hearing in how he acts. Notice how Paul, though, gets the issue back onto Jesus. He gets the issue onto what is the most important thing. Sometimes in our evangelism, in our conversations, in our sharing the gospel, even just our conversations with other Christians, we can end up going down these rabbit trails that lead to fights, that lead to divisions, that can get us angry. In evangelism, sometimes we end up debating all of the wrong things. You might encounter someone that you're sharing the gospel with and you're trying to talk about Jesus, and, and they, they sort of, they'll, they'll just ask you, well, so do you believe the earth is only 6,000 years old? Well, on the one hand, even good, solid Christians debate that issue. But what they're really trying to do is steer the issue away from Jesus. Oh, really? Well, you, you believe that God created the earth in six days? Oh, you don't believe in evolution? See, they're bringing it up not, not because they want to have a genuine debate, but that this is something where they can get you on. Well, of course we don't believe as Christians in evolution. God created all things. But they're using it to, to steer the conversation away from things that, that concern Jesus. This is, this is where we need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. 
Another thing, particularly in this season, I think that, that sometimes people can do is, is they assume that all Christians are of a certain political stripe, so they'll, they'll want to, rather than talk about Jesus and the gospel and the weighty things, they'll want to turn and, and talk about politics. Well, you know, I know a Christian who's voting for Trump, and, and how can you even do that? And then you can, well, you know, here are the reasons, or here are the reasons not to, or whatever, and you can get this debate off of the main issue. Keep your evangelism focused on Jesus. And Paul brings it back to the um, issue here of Jesus and his resurrection. Let me give you another example. This is something uh, that happened uh, for real. Um, Rick Warren uh, actually was being interviewed a number of years back by Ann Curry uh, on NBC, and she was running him through a lot of questions, the, the normal types of questions that, they, that, that everybody who's not a believer tries to trap Christians with. You know, what do you believe about homosexuality? Trying to show and demonstrate, oh, we're really just hateful, sinful people or something like that. Um, and, and so she asks him, uh, and she says something like, if science were to find out that homosexuality, homosexuality is, is biological, and she adds the words, you know, indisputably biological, if it was shown without a doubt that people are born gay, would you change your position? It's a, it's a well-crafted question, and, and it's a well-crafted landmine, if I, can, if I can put it that way. Because as Christians, we don't want to hate people, even though we need to speak about things being sin. And so Rick Warren actually has what I think is, is a really good answer. He just goes, if it is, fine, good to know. He says something to the effect, and I don't know if I copied these words down exactly, but I, I got the point. He says, just because it is natural doesn't make it right. He says, I'm naturally inclined to desire to have sex with every woman I see, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. He's not saying that, that people can be born gay. He doesn't even enter that debate. He just kind of says, so what? We all have sin. And, and part of the fall, now, now this is the theology behind it. He doesn't get all this out in his short answer, but part of the thing about the fall is, Genetics gets corrupted. Why do we have things like cancer today? Because of the fall and its effects on our body. The point he tries to make is, it really doesn't matter because the Bible is what sets the standard for what sin is. I thought it was a good answer. Maybe, maybe you don't agree. Maybe you say, well, he could have said more. But, but the point is, he brought the issue back to Jesus instead of following down this path of Let's start debating homosexuality. Now, there's a time and a place to stand up for that, and we should certainly not compromise. But we need to be careful that we don't let people lure us into things where they just want to fight with us. They don't want to really hear the answers. They just want to prove that we're wrong. And they want to laugh at us for how stupid our ideas are. So that you have to be wise in knowing, when is someone asking me a genuine question? And when are they just setting me up for mockery? I think if you find yourself, I, I don't think we'll ever find ourselves in a situation where we can say, well, just say, well, I, I just believe in the resurrection, because we don't have the exact situations that Paul has. But, but you may find yourself in a situation where someone questions you on, 
on something. Well, well, does the Bible really say? Well, well, do you really believe? Maybe one of the questions you can ask the person, put, put the question back on them and say, well, if I tell you what the Bible really says, are you even interested in turning to God and following him? If I, if I really share with you what the Bible says, do you want to know because you want to respond? You see, then the issue is not the issue you're fighting about, but are we going to respond to the authority of God? And the Christian says, I am bound by a higher authority. Maybe in, in another season, someone asks you something and, and they want to know, you know, uh, do you really believe this? And, and, you know, they're trying to draw you into one of these fights where I think it's silly that Christians believe these things. And, and maybe one of the ways you can answer, and I'm not saying this is the perfect, uh, infallible answer, but particularly when it comes to things, you know, like, like in our world with politics and the government restricting things, and, and maybe one of the ways we answer the question is with another question. You might say, before I answer this question, let me ask you this. Does a Christian have the right to believe what they want? So let's say they're asking you about homosexual marriage or something like that. How can you think that's right? You know, our government has this, you know, policies now and da-da-da-da-da, and they ask you about it. Ask them back. Let me ask you, does the Christian have the right to believe what they want? If they say no, you say, well, actually, we live in a free country and we're supposed to have religious freedom, and you can kind of take the, the answer that direction. If they say, if they kind of hem and haul and say, well, yes, you know, Christians have, we have, of course we have freedom of religion in this country. Yes, you can believe uh, what you want. Then you can actually say, no. Because the Christian is to be a person whose heart is captive to the word of God. I can't just believe what I want. I have to believe what the Lord Jesus wants. I I don't have free range to pick and choose these things. The Christian is one who submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying these are, are perfect answers, and I'm not saying I'm as wise as Paul to be able to, to set a trap, but, but the point is this. Be confident in Jesus Christ. Not yourself, not your ability to win the argument, not your sneakiness. Be confident in Jesus Christ, and in your sharing, and in your evangelism, keep calm. We're actually going to talk about meekness tonight, and there's actually some things I think that overlap with meekness. Because a lot of times when you see people that aren't meek, they get very angry when they are threatened, when someone confronts them. But for the believer, when someone confronts us, when someone tries to shoot down what we have to say and believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be calm because we are humbly trusting in the Lord. The Lord is our answer. And even if I don't find the right words to say in the moment, the Lord is still my answer and my refuge. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would guide and you would direct, that you would give us courage in being evangelistic, maybe even just give us insights in, into how to respond to people that in ways that are gracious and loving and, and, and kind. Maybe we have people in our own lives that we've just 
they've been a real problem to try to, to try to deal with, to try to interact with. Just give us that wisdom on how to be peaceable, how to be calm, how to, how to be wise as serpents, but as innocent as, as doves. And we just uh, pray these things in your name. Uh, amen.